You're listening to The Truth About Bible Study taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Good morning, everyone. How are you all doing today? Happy Mother's Day to everyone here that that pertains to. So we got to get right into this week. Last week, we started lesson 31, which I was thinking would be like a normal lesson. And we got through most of the introduction before it was time to be done. And so this week, we have the task of trying to fit two lessons into one week. And part of the reason for that is because I'm not going to be teaching Sunday school for the next two weeks. We have a couple of guys doing that in my stead. And then pastor will be back. And so it might be a long time before I get to Sunday school again. And because he's going to do a series when he comes back. And so I don't want to leave the whole subject of spiritual gifts open for a couple months. And so we're going to get into two lessons this week. And But that doesn't mean... I'm going to try and go through things fairly quickly... It doesn't mean I don't want you to ask questions or put up your hand if you have a comment to make. You're still more than welcome to do that. Don't feel it. Part of it is I'm going to go through really fast and then stop me when it's necessary. Okay? So, if you didn't guess, the two topics I want to discuss is the gift of tongues. I want to go through the gift of tongues as we see it in the Bible. I do not want to dwell for a long time on this issue. I don't want to make it so that the gift of tongues is the only thing we think about when we talk about spiritual gifts. So we've been doing this. This is the fourth week of spiritual gifts, and we did two weeks on the Holy Spirit before that. So what I want to do is just take a portion of a class to deal with a subject that is very controversial within the church, but not one that I think should be the thing that rules our thinking on the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, so we are going to talk about that briefly. The second thing, and I think more importantly, we'll discuss passages that are essential in our understanding of spiritual gifts, and especially how we are to use spiritual gifts in our own lives, in the lives of our church, um, how God has gifted the church and what he's gifted us for, what the purpose is, so that we can hopefully think rightly about how we're using our gifts for the benefit of the whole body. So, tongues in the Bible. As I said, please stop and ask me if you have a question. What I want to do is just go through the times. It's actually fairly easy to go through all the times in the Bible that the gift of tongues is mentioned. We see first in Acts chapter 2. Okay, so this is the time that we see tongues most clearly in action. This is where we learn what tongues is, or we at least get our best idea, understanding of what it is to speak in tongues. In Acts chapter 2, as you know, the Holy Spirit comes, Uh, the disciples are there, there's 120 in that room, they're praying, the disciples, the the Holy Spirit comes on them as cloven tongues as fire, and they go out and they preach, they teach, they disciple, they evangelize, and as they're doing so, something incredible happens, the people there are hearing the (laughs) message of the gospel in their own language, in their own dialect. This is an amazing thing. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 6 says, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And as you know, after that, some of the leaders of the temple come and they're upset and they they start acting as though the disciples are just drunk, that they're not right, you shouldn't be listening to them. And Peter stands up and he preaches an incredible sermon in Acts chapter 2. 
And part of what he does to explain what's happening, this gift of tongues, is he says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes on to quote Joel, how the spirit would come and God would put his spirit on young men and and young women and, and that they would speak in tongues and prophesy and do a bunch of other things. And so here we see a few things and we're going to go through quick, okay? We see, first of all, that the gift of tongues may have been used to spread the gospel to people who could otherwise not understand, okay? So it seems like part of the purpose for the gift of tongues here was to be able to clearly communicate the message from one group of people who spoke one language to other people who may not speak that same language. But I say may because we don't know that for sure. Okay, what we do know for sure is that we're people from all different countries all around the known world coming to the temple. The reason they would have done this is because they're there to celebrate the feast. And so because um, um, Jerusalem swelled from about 200,000 people to over a million people during these feast times, people would come from all over the place. And so here we have people who are God-fearers or Jews. I mean, some they have some connection with the temple, some belief in God. And so we might assume, and, and we'd probably assume that, yes, there were probably some people there that didn't speak Hebrew or that didn't speak Greek. It's possible, but it never clearly says that. It just says there's people from different places, okay? So the point that we can say for sure is that it may have been because it was communicating the gospel into another language that the person could not understand the gospel without the gift of tongues. We can definitely say that the gift of tongues was a fulfillment of prophecy, Peter says that, and so the Bible is being fulfilled. We can also definitely say that the gift of tongues was used as a sign to demonstrate the divine origin of the message. So that is very clear. If you had a group of people and they all spoke a different dialect, I mean, why why in different dialects? Why not just in in a way that, you know, they can understand? And I think the answer to that is because it was supposed to be a sign. And when you look at this passage and when you read the whole thing, you say that they were amazed, they marveled. Well, obviously them being amazed isn't the goal, but... The fact that they were amazed and marveled demonstrated that what they saw was divine. What they saw was not just man doing what men usually do, getting up and, and preaching a message in their own language. What they saw was something that God was doing. And so they were amazed. It was a sign. It was a demonstration that God was working through this. We also find that disciples did not ask to speak in tongues. It was involuntary. The Bible says that it was the Spirit. The Spirit gave tongues as He chose, or He gave them utterance as He chose. And so it wasn't something that they were they were trying to get. It wasn't something they were searching after. It was something that just happened. And it was a, a miracle by God. We find also that the disciples were speaking in real language, even dialect. Okay, So when we look at Acts chapter 2, I, I hope that those are just the main points we pull out and say, okay, so so tongues had a purpose, maybe to communicate the gospel to people in their language, also as a sign that this was a real thing from God. It was a fulfillment of prophecy that they did not ask for it. It was involuntary. The Spirit gave it as He chose, and that disciples were speaking in real languages, intelligible languages. We move on to the book of Acts, and it, tongues comes up again in Acts chapter 10. And you know the story of Acts chapter 10, when Peter is given the vision, and Cornelius is praying, and the vision is that there's all these different unclean animals, and, and God says, take and eat. And so Peter is learning that the Gentiles have a part in the kingdom of God, that Gentiles can be saved. And so now he goes and he finally surrenders to go preach to Cornelius. And and so Cornelius gets his family together, his household together. He preaches the gospel and midway through the gospel, he hasn't even got to the invitation yet. He hasn't closed yet. I mean, he's just giving the gospel that people start being saved. People start trusting Christ and they're being filled with the Spirit. And so in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says, While Peter yet spake these words, 
the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Here there are Jews that are watching this happen. So Peter's there, and Peter's received the vision. He already knows from God what he's supposed to do, and he knows that Gentiles have been included in the kingdom. But there's other Jews there that aren't so sure. And so as he preaches and they're saved, they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And as that happens, they do the exact same thing that happened on Pentecost. So in this case, it doesn't describe the dialects. It doesn't describe all of the languages. But what we, the only thing that's said about tongues here is that, that the Holy Ghost fell on us in the same way as it did on us, fell on them as it did on us at the start. Okay, back in Acts chapter 2. So here the Jews are, and they're seeing this happen. This is evidence to them. So then the very next chapter, we find Peter speaking to more Jews who are very skeptical that Gentiles have actually been saved. And here we get just a, a little picture into the mind of a Jew that they truly believe they were the center of God's universe and that, that God had no plan for the Gentiles. Okay, if he sent the Savior, if the Messiah was true, it was, it was still only for us. And God is trying to poke away at that constantly and show them that, no, it's for everyone. He's already said in Isaiah it's for everyone. He's already, he's already um, prophesied that the gospel would go out to the whole world, but now he's just showing them that it's really happening. And so what Peter says in Acts eleven fifteen, he says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Again, when he's saying it, it's the exact same thing that happened to us, happened to them. In Acts chapter 9, verse 6, it's just a really short mention of tongues. Here we have where there are brother, there, there are men there who, they're believers, but they only know the, the baptism of John. Okay, now there's a lot of question marks as to what exactly happened in Acts chapter 9 at the beginning. So the question would be, were these men truly saved before Paul spoke with them, okay? Because it seems like the, the, the language is used, that they were believers, that they were God-fearers, and Paul's kind of speaking to them as brothers. And then he says, do you know, have you been baptized since the, the Holy Ghost come on you? And, and no, we've never heard of the Holy Ghost. We only, we only know of the baptism of John. What I think happened here is I think that these men were just at that point where they, they were trusting God, they were believing everything that God said up into everything that they know to, knew to believe, and now Paul was able to share with them Christ and the, the fulfillment of all the things that John spoke and what would have happened. And so that's at this point that they were likely saved, truly saved. But, that's the, but whether or not you think that that's the same interpretation, it probably doesn't really matter. The point is here in Acts chapter 19 verse 6, it says, When Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues. So again, just the the last example of tongues in the book of Acts. Here we find in these two stories that tongues were used as a sign to the Jews that the gospel was for both Jews and Gentiles. So again, purpose of tongues in this case seems to be it's used as a sign to show the Jews that the Gentiles are included in the kingdom. Finally, we see that in these passages, there is no discernible difference between the gift of tongues from Acts 2 to Acts 10 to Acts 19. At no point does it say anything different happened. And we have no reason to believe anything different happened. All it says is that that's, it was the same as, as us at the beginning. So now we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Okay, so any person who 
attempts to justify the use of tongues in their church is going to first go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is a text that the vast majority of the charismatic movement must go to justify their actions and beliefs. Interestingly, this is the only other text in the Bible that speaks to the gift of tongues at all. So outside of the book of 1 Corinthians, there's not really any other mention of tongues other than what we've just read in the book of Acts in the whole New Testament. And... Paul is speaking about this gift, not because he thinks it's so important that everybody needs to hear about it. He's speaking about it because it's being abused, because it's being misused. So there's a problem with the way they're using tongues, and Paul writes to correct their problem, not, he doesn't write in the book of Romans where he gives the whole gospel and he talks all about Christian living, and he gives almost, if you were to take the book of Romans, you could give a Christian almost, a person almost everything they need to understand their state, who God is, what salvation is, and then what it means for their life from henceforth. So he never speaks about tongues there. But when he goes to 1 Corinthians, he does. And here we have a selfish worldly church that is abusing the spiritual gifts. And specifically here, it seems like they're abusing the gift of tongues. And so Paul is setting parameters around the gift. In I'm going to just read a few of the verses and I'm going to tell you what some of the other verses say. And I want to just be able to like give you the, the truths really quickly. I'm encouraging you to study this for yourself. Okay, so take what I've said here, take it home and study and, and see whether or not I'm insane. 1 Corinthians 14.2 For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men, but unto God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. So here we have probably the difficult text for a cessationalist or, or for somebody who is not going to speak in tongues. Because it says, for he that is speaking in an unknown tongue... He's not speaking to men, but to God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. So this is, this is where it's, first of all, an unknown tongue. I mean, what, what is an unknown tongue? Well, it's helpful to know that in the King James Bible, they inserted the word unknown, but it's actually not in the Greek. So we can just take that unknown out, and it, it's actually more clear. He that speaks in a tongue. So we don't have any reason at this point to believe there's anything other than a language. He that speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. I, I mean, I think that's, that's what we're talking about here. I think that this is a language, and, and sometimes, and that's, that's true, that when you say the word unknown tongue, originally, I believe the King James translators thought this is going to be helpful because it's going to let people know that, okay, it's an unknown tongue, meaning it's a language that that person didn't already know. I think that's, that's what they were thinking. But what can happen with that word unknown is that people can read into it, oh, it's an unknown tongue, it's a tongue that nobody knows, right? And so that, I mean, when you, you just don't know what it's talking about, so it actually seems to add more confusion than clarity. But here he says, for no man understands him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. And that's where they would say, well, look, at you have a, you have a, a language that no man understands. Okay? Now, there's two ways to interpret that. Number one, this is a heavenly language unknown to anyone other than God. Okay, So this is, this is language only God speaks. That's, that's one way of understanding it. The second one is that this is a real language that no one else in the room speaks. So when it says no man understands, he means no man in the vicinity understands. And based on what we know about tongues, I like option B. I think that option B is consistent with what happened in the book of Acts. So then, yeah, people would go, okay, well, how about the, the, the tongue of angels? What is the tongue of angels? Well, first of all, the tongue of angels is a real language, uh, apparently, if, it, if there is a tongue that's just angels. But also, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is speaking very poetically. So he also says, they'll have faith to move mountains. Well, it seems like he's, he's drawing like this 
picture of something that was just so insane, so out there. Like if I had so much faith that I could tell this mountain to move over here and I don't have love, then I'm, it's useless. It's, it's worthless. And though I can speak with the tongue of angels, well, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean there, there is a tongue of angels. It doesn't mean that anybody could ever speak it. It's just saying, even if, if my tongues was so great that it was to the ultimate, just like moving a mountain. So it's poet, I think it's poetic language here that's trying to, to push you as far as you possibly can to, if I had the greatest gifts, miracles, whatever possible, and I didn't have love, then it's all useless. Okay? So I, I, don't, I don't know that the tongue of angels needs to be a real language for what Paul said there. And even if it is a real language, it's still a real language. So we're still not talking about um, something that is, is... And I guess part of that would go to, I mean, when, when the science... And this is extra biblical, right? So when scientists look at what happens when people speak in tongues, um, there is no... When, when if you were to take uh, somebody who is brilliant in linguist, linguistics um, and they were put in a room with somebody who spoke Chinese, they don't need to be able to speak Chinese to know that what's, what's being said is a real language. Okay? They can discern. And so they've, they've done this with people that, that speak in tongues and they would say that, no, that's not a language. Those are noises. Um, there's, there's no coherent um, pattern, nothing that would indicate that there's a language being spoken. It's just stuff. So that, that is, I know it's extra biblical, but um, it, if it was a tongue of angels, it would still be a real, real language if, that, if such a thing exists. See, I, I think that like when he says people did have, have the gift of faith, right? And people did have the gift of tongues and people did have the gift of prophecy. So all those things were possible things then. I think all he's doing and the part that might be poetic or uh, like just, how do I, so if we said that Donovan Bailey is, Donovan Bailey is as fast as a supercar, and nobody would, nobody would assume that he actually runs as fast as a supercar. They just know that we're saying like he's crazy fast, right? And so in, I think in this case, it's, what he's doing is he's not trying to make something completely up. There's, he's, it's not that there's tongues and like, oh, who, like whoever speaks in tongues. He, no, people did speak in tongues. I think that when he says the tongue of angels and faith that move mountains is when he's saying it's like a supercar. You know, it's kind of like pushing it further than what it could possibly go and everybody would understand that. Paul doesn't want to be like, he doesn't want his readers to go, wait, I can move mountains? He wants his readers to go, I need to have love. And I think that, that he speaks that way to this church in particular because really that's all they cared about. They cared about trying to move mountains or whatever. The, he's trying to bring them back to what's most important. I think too in 1 Corinthians 14, he's also trying to bring them back to what's most important. So we see it throughout the chapter. And, and the point that was made, when we read the Bible, we have to read it honestly. We don't, like some people say, you got to read the Bible literally. Well, you do have to read it literally in the sense that don't take it all as a myth or as a fairy tale. But when an author is clearly being poetic, then you don't read that literally, right? It, it, when you don't go through the book of Psalms and read everything that was written in the Psalms and think, oh, that's exactly literal, exactly true. Sometimes it's, it's poetic language to make a point. And so we got to read the Bible the way it's meant to be read, not the, not the way that we choose to read it. I think that the gift of tongues is probably spoken about in other places as clearly a spiritual gift, but that's interesting. He, he almost, it's almost like he's trying to draw them away from thinking about it as this gift. It's just like, so we, we absolutely need to read the Bible in its literary context. Okay, we got to move on. So, 1 Corinthians, we're in verse 3. This is great. But he that prophesies 
speaks unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. So again, two ways to understand that. One way is that prophesying edifies the, the church, while tongues only edifies the individual. That's, that's one way of looking at it. And some people would say, because the, the argument is often made by those who are against tongues, to say, well, there's no good use of tongues. There's no good purpose of it. And they would say, no, the Bible says that tongues edifies me. And, and so based on this verse, I think that might be making too much out of what's being said here. I think what Paul, again, is using is he's using kind of sarcasm, where he's saying like, prophesy, prophesying, or, 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 and we're gonna, we can talk about what prophesying means here, whether it means foretelling events or forthtelling truth. It, it, I think it could be either one, but prophesying was, was good for the whole church. And I think he's kind of making a joke about, but like, you know, when you speak in tongues, it only edifies yourself. And we see later on in the text that it actually doesn't really edify you much at all because it doesn't, there, there's no edification in your knowledge. There's, you don't know what's going on when you're speaking in tongues. That's the point that he's, he makes later. So I think that he's, again, using sarcasm. I don't think he's saying that, yeah, if you speak in tongues, it's so good for you. How is it good for you? What, what way is it good for you? Because you're, you don't know what's going on. So there's, it doesn't seem like there's benefit really to the whole church or even to yourself. Um, but let's move on. First Corinthians 14, verse 5. I would that you would speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesied than he that speaks in tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. And again, Paul is all about the church being edified. Spiritual gifts are all about you edifying the church. Your gift is not just for you. It's in fact, it's not primarily for you. It's for the benefit of the church. And so what Paul says here is, I'm not against tongues, but how much better is prophesying? And this whole time, he's not going out to bash tongues or, or to say that people speaking in tongues are terrible because there are people that are doing that, that, that could do that then. But what he's trying to say is, listen, use your gift for what it's, what it's meant to be used for. And the gift of tongues is not meant to be used within the church setting because it doesn't edify everybody. Nobody can understand it. Prophesying is better in that case. Only speak in tongues when someone is there to interpret. Makes that clear. If we, again, if we were going back to, okay, well, interpretation. Some people would say, well, this gift of interpretation is being able to discern or interpret this, this heavenly or godly language. I don't know if that's what interpretation is. I think that if we were to say, is any, does anybody here speak Spanish? Because if you do, you can interpret Spanish, right? If, does anybody speak Chinese? You could interpret Chinese. That's what an interpreter is. That's what it usually is. It's, it's taking a real language and putting it back into the, the language that people understand that are nearby. And verse number six, we're not going to read all of this, but verse number six, Paul is saying there's no benefit to any believers if he comes speaking in tongues. So he chooses not to speak in tongues because even though he could, there's no benefit. In verse 7 and 9, he talks about instruments and instruments that are useless if they don't make a recognizable sound. So if Sam, can you flip the piano up and just pound some keys? What song was that? That's what he's saying. No discernible, no recognizable sound, right? So it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't tell you anything. It's not helpful. Without meaning, speaking in tongues is equivalent to useless noise. In 1 Corinthians 14.10, it says, There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be as unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaks shall be a barbarian unto me. The word barbarian is simply foreigner. So again, if somebody's speaking in tongues and, and you're in the room with them, they're as though they're a foreigner to you. 
Does a foreigner speak in some unknown God-like language, or does a foreigner speak in just a different language? So again, it seems it doesn't seem like he's contradicting the idea that tongues in the Bible is a real language, language that people knew, uh, that a foreigner would know, but you wouldn't know. Verse number 12, he says, be passionate about using your spiritual gifts to edify the church. Verse 13 to 14, he says, don't pray in tongues unless God allows you to understand your prayer. In verse 15, he says, it's better to pray and sing in a language that you can understand. In verse 16 and 17, it's better for everyone else if you pray, bless, praise, so that everyone can understand. Okay, so he keeps going on uh, on the same tangent over and over again. What you say ought to be understood. And if you're saying things that aren't understood, then they're not helpful. So stop saying them. In verse 18, Paul says that he is he speaks tongues more than them all, or he's the master of tongues, but that the church would be more edified by five words that he spoke that they could understand than 10,000 they could not. And 10,000 in the Greek was the highest number they have. That's why in the new in the book of Revelation, we have 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. We have numbers that, like, this is the biggest number times the biggest number that we have. So he says, if I spoke five words in your language, it would edify you more than if I spoke endlessly in tongues. It just doesn't help anybody. In verse number 20, he tells them to stop being childish. In verse 21 to 22, he says, tongues are a sign for those who don't believe. Again, tongues are a sign. It's a sign for who? Well, for those who don't believe. Well, what do you mean? Well, it seemed like in Acts chapter 2, tongues were a sign for those who don't believe. Yeah, so I think when what, what he was saying is that they were doing something um, in the Spirit, and I'm not sure if that if there that means with the Holy Spirit. I think that that's talking about with with their spirit, with their passion, with their with what's in them. And so he's saying you're you're trying to do something good in your spirit. You're trying to um, pray, but there's no understanding. And so when you when you um, speak truth in a language that you understand, you can do it with your spirit and you can do it with understanding. And he's saying, I don't want you to just want to do the right thing or try to do the right thing or feel like you're trying to do the right thing. I want you to do it in a way that's beneficial, where there's understanding included in that. So um, praying, pr- when I pray out loud in English, then I am my understanding is benefited. My spirit is still a part of it, and everybody else can have their spirit and their understanding edified and, 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 and a part of what's happening. But if I'm praying in my spirit only, then it doesn't really edify anybody else's spirit or their understanding, and it doesn't even edify my own understanding. So it's, it's really not accomplishing any, anything other than I'm trying, other than my spirit's involved. So I, I think that it's not that praying in the spirit is separate than praying with understanding. It's that Either you're only praying in the spirit, which is you're like, you're really trying to do it, but there's no understanding involved, or you're with the spirit and with understanding together. That's what we do. Well, that's, and so I think that when people speak in tongues, that's what they, that's what they would say happens, that they don't know what's going on. They don't know what they're saying, but somehow prayers are going up. And, and he wants both to be present. Both ought to be present. Otherwise, the one by itself isn't really accomplishing anything. It's just... It's just the attempt being made. This whole letter is written into the, still the foundational time in the church. Um, the church of Corinth didn't have the New Testament, right? So they needed prophets. They needed, they needed these extra spiritual gifts. And you say, well, you don't think that prophecy would be helpful for us now. And I, I would say, no, I absolutely believe that God gave the church the gift of prophecy. And that's why we have the scriptures we have today. So the gift of prophecy is still in use today in, in the sense that 
we have it here and we're using it, right? We have what the prophet said. We have what the apostles said. We have what we need. And so certainly there are lots of other spiritual gifts, but the ones that were foundational, that laid the foundation, now we, we use from that foundation. We don't try and keep laying more foundation down. Verse 23 to 25, if unbelievers come into a church setting and everyone is speaking in tongues, they will think that you're all crazy. Whereas if they can understand what is being said, they may be saved through your testimony. That's, that's essentially what those verses are saying. It says they're going to think you're mad. They're going to think you're crazy. And you can imagine if you, had, if you walked into a room and everyone was speaking in a language you didn't know or babbling on, or you'd just be like, what's going on in here? This is crazy. Okay? Now, if pe- people go to a lot of Pentecostal churches today, that's what happens. Not all of them, but there's a lot of Pentecostal churches. You walk in and be like, what's going on here? This seems crazy. And so he's concerned about that. In verse 26, everything that is done in the church should be done for the edifying of the whole body. Verse 27, if you must speak in tongues, let only two in a service. At the most three people speak, let them speak one at a time and make sure that there is someone to interpret. If there's not someone to interpret, then then nobody speaks. Okay, so here's the like very clear parameters that if if you're going to speak in tongues, Two, at the most, three people in a service, speaking one at a time with somebody there to give the interpretation immediately after. And if all those things aren't present, then then don't even do it at all. Okay. Verse number 28. If there is no interpreter, no one should ever speak in tongues in church. Verse 29 to 33. God is not the author author of confusion, but of peace. Everything should be done in its proper order. And in verse 39, I am not altogether forbidding tongues, but I'm encouraging you to prefer prophecy. Okay, so Paul is not trying to, to quench the gift that they have, recognizing that some of them did have a gift. But what he's saying is, there's something better. I want you to prefer prophecy. I want you to go after those things that edify your spirit and your mind, your, your understanding. So what do we learn? We learn that Paul doesn't say anything that changes the definition of tongues from real languages to ecstatic utterances. There's nothing I don't think clearly said there that would change our understanding of that. Um, Paul is clearly trying to limit, curtail, and put boundaries around this gift. Okay, so he's not, he's not bringing up tongues so he can get more people to speak in it. He's bringing up tongues so he can limit what's happening. He can put boundaries around it. The gift of tongues was being abused by those seeking attention rather than the edifying of the body. So if you ever go into a place and it seems like the gift of tongues is being used for the edifying and the building up of one person and not the whole body, then you know that it's being used improperly. Paul is making a logical case for, the, for using language that is comprehensible to all those present. The church of God should not be a circus, but rather a place of order and decency. It really, and I mean that like seriously. The church should not be a circus. This is not a joke. Okay, we're not, we don't have the freedom to just make church whatever we want it to be. It's God's house. It's God's place. It's, it, I mean, the church belongs to Christ, and we, we need to make sure we're doing it his way. And Paul reaffirms that the gift of tongues was intended to be a sign to those who don't believe. So that's what we learn in those, those verses. One final thought, and this, is, this just helps, I think, maybe solidify the case even, that during that time, he was in, in, in Corinth, which was an incredibly sinful, incredibly sinful city. Their goddess was a goddess Aphrodite. But, I mean, the pagans around the Roman world worshipped in temples, and they did a lot of uh, all sorts of terrible things in those temples as a part of their worship. But one of the things that was very common in pagan practice in this day was for people to go into trances, 
and sometimes they were dr drug-induced, but they were trances where they would ultimately speak in ecstatic utterance. So they would be doing something very similar to what is seen in a lot of churches today. In their pagan temples, and so the question that I would have is, how is it that this gift is supposed to be a sign to those who don't believe? But when those who don't believe come in, they see the exact same thing happening in the church that they saw in the temple down the road. How is that a sign, right? So this, this ecstatic utterances that, that don't have any real meaning, it doesn't seem like that's how God would, would edify the church, that he would use this unknown, unreal language, or, or maybe you call it a heavenly language. It seems like whatever was happening with the gift of tongues, it was something that was miraculous. It was something amazing. It was something that was, that was clearly a sign distinct and different from what was going on in the pagan world. I mean, that kind of thing, it's not distinct to just this this small part of Christianity, the growing part of Christianity. So, Romans chapter 12. I feel like I've been here twice at the precipice of Romans 12 without being able to go past. So, we'll stop now. So, thank you all for coming. Thanks for your attention and your participation. God bless.